Broadcasting from the Business Radio X studio in Alpharetta, it's time for Profit Sense with Bill McDermott. Good morning. Welcome to Profit Sense. This podcast dives into the stories behind some of Atlanta's successful businesses and business owners and the professionals that advise them. We help local business leaders get the word out about the important work they're doing to serve their market, their community, and their profession, as well as discuss current issues that business owners are facing today across a wide variety of industries. I'm your host, Bill McDermott, and this show is presented by The Profitability Coach. When business owners want to increase their profitability, they often don't have the expertise to know where to start or what to do. I leverage my knowledge and relationships from 32 years in banking and 14 years as a coach to identify the hurdles, getting in the way, and create a plan to deliver profitability they never thought possible. We have two great guests on the show today, Vivian Dempsey with Wilson Lewis. Vivian, so glad you're here. Thank you. And Scott Williford. Scott's with V-Link Solutions. Scott, so glad you're here on Profit Sense. Thank you. Vivian, I'm going to start with you. And so I know we were uh, we were introduced by Andrew Sullivan. And uh, Andrew, for me, is, you know, when Andrew speaks, uh, I listen. <laughs> and so I've really, really been, been looking forward to this. Um, and the first question that we're going to talk about, so I received this letter. You know, so, well, first, let me back up. So I get an email letting me know what mail is coming in my mailbox. And of course, I panic because I see this Georgia Department of Revenue addressed to me and my wife and all these thoughts go through my head. Oh my gosh, what is this? Blah, blah, blah. It was a $500 check. And I go, oh my gosh, why is the government giving me $500? Well, our topic, the personal income tax rebate. Talk a little bit about that. Yes, and this is the second one. So it's a special tax refund. And if you've filed both your 2021 and 2022 Georgia tax return, you and you have a tax liability of over this refund, then you'll either get either a 250 dollar rebate, which is for single taxpayers or married filing separate. Or if you file head of household, you'll get $375. And if you file Mary filing joint, you get $500. And so that explains my $500 check because my wife and I file jointly. Yes. So. And a lot of people have been like, why do I have $500 extra in my account? And here we go. <laughs> yeah. So uh, so I had to do a Google search, $500 check. And of course, this was... Uh, I think something that the Georgia State House had passed some time ago. Um, uh, you know, certainly, uh, uh, I won't make a political comment necessarily, but uh, Governor Kemp uh, hopefully will get will get some uh, uh, political mileage out of, out of this. Uh, I don't remember getting a tax rebate back uh, since I've uh, been a Georgia resident since 1978. But anyway, uh, kudos to the state of Georgia for being fiscally conservative and also uh, being able to provide some of that tax money back. Yes, absolutely. It's nice. <laughs> nice yeah. surprise. And, and so I'm also going to go back uh, similarly. So I started uh, my business uh, 14 years ago. Uh, when I started, uh, I had the benefit of someone uh, like you, who is a CPA, who sat me down and said, Bill, let me tell you about an LLC 
And let me tell you about an S-Corp. So for our listeners out there, uh, I know there are advantages uh, to being an S-Corp. Uh, there are also some disadvantages, but talk a little bit about the advantages and disadvantages of S-Corp election. Well, honestly, I think the advantages outweigh the disadvantages. But basically, um, with the advantages, the um, you, you don't have to file – well, you do have to file a separate tax return, but it will lower your self-employment taxes. So basically, if you have an LLC or you're a sole proprietor, you pay self-employment tax on all of your business income. Sure. So you pay income tax and self-employment tax. With an S-Corp, you pay income tax on your business income, but you only pay self-employment tax on the salary that you pay yourself. So the IRS requires an S-Corp owner to pay themselves what they call a reasonable salary. And of course, there's some gray area there, but most of the time you can determine what a reasonable salary is based on your income. Um, and then that portion of the income is subject to the self-employment tax instead of the, the whole profit. And then another... Another good advantage is that it protects you. It, there's a high level of asset protection, so mm-hmm. it it protects your personal assets basically. Um, and then you, it also exists indefinitely. So if something were to happen to you as an S corp shareholder, um, your business lives on with an LLC or a sole proprietorship. Your your business obviously dissolves after death. Right. So, um, and then of course people, when, when people realize that you're an S corp, you're an actual business, they, you're, it's, you're more credible. They, they expect to do business with someone that has a business, not right. a sole proprietor where you just find them off the street. So, um, so that is definitely another advantage. Um, some of the disadvantages, again, I think the advantages are much better than the disadvantages, but, um, an S corp can only have a hundred shareholders maximum. Okay. Um, these have to be U S citizens or non aliens. So non-resident aliens, excuse me. And, um, again, they have to file a separate tax return and they also have to pay, file payroll tax, quarterly payroll tax returns. Sure. So, um, that is a little extra work, a little extra cost, but definitely worth the tax savings. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. We're talking today with Vivian Dempsey. Vivian specializes in federal and state tax, state compliance and tax consulting services. Uh, Wilson Lewis, the firm she's a partner of, is a Gwinnett-based certified public accounting firm that provides a variety of tax, accounting, and consulting services to meet the changing needs of both individuals and businesses. Um, I want to kind of uh, switch topics and, and talk a little bit about the new Georgia pass-through entity tax. Uh, the acronym is PTET. 
this is a new term to me. Can you help me and our listening audience, uh, listeners out there, uh, understand what that is? Yes. So it is new to Georgia. It started, um, you can start with tax year 2022, which in the accounting world, we always live a year behind. So we are in the tax year 2022. Um, but for the passer entity tax, if you own an S corp or a partnership, and I believe they just passed that you could also do it with an, with a single member LLC. Now um, you pay the, the Georgia state tax at the business level. So basically what this does is several years ago, back in 2017, they, there was a law passed that there is a, a $10,000 limit on this, the state and local tax that you can deduct on your, on your schedule a of your individual tax return. So your itemized deductions, you only get 10,000 of that. Okay. And this helps work around that basically. Um, so you pay the tax at the at the business level, and then that tax is deductible at your business level. So your federal tax that flows through to you onto your individual return is less that amount. And then on your Georgia individual tax return, you actually get to, because that tax on that income has already been paid at the business level, you get to adjust your Georgia income because Georgia starts with your federal income and then you get to adjust or subtract that business income that you have already paid tax on. Okay. So your Georgia income for tax purposes is lower as well. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, that's definitely helpful. So for our listeners out there, uh, uh, the Georgia pass through entity tax is, uh, uh, sounds like a tax savings, uh, based on the fact that, uh, uh, you can, can pass through the tax has been paid at the, at the business level. Um, I want to kind of go now to, uh, um, IRS, uh, IRS is, uh, uh, can can drive shockwaves into uh, uh, some businesses and probably uh, individuals. Uh, CPAs get the brunt of that. Uh, uh, but as I understand it, the IRS has revealed a new operating plan. Can can you elaborate on that a little bit? Yes. So they are, and of course, this is going to be over several years, like most things are. Um, but they are hoping to um, improve several several. Several services in the IRS. Um, now, of course, I'm a little skeptical because the IRS is, can be difficult to deal with. But um, and oftentimes, like you said, taxpayers are almost scared of the IRS, which no need to be scared of the IRS. True. But um, some of the some of their plans are an improvement on taxpayer services. Um, they want to basically update and address some of the issues of online services. So they want to be able, they want taxpayers to be able to log in and get some of their information more readily and just have a better online presence. Mm -hmm. Um, And then they want to try to quickly resolve taxpayers issues. Um, Obviously, when COVID hit, they had to shut down, and a 
A lot of things got backed up. I believe that there's still four million or four yes, four million unprocessed returns still wow. left out there. And so they are working towards resolving taxpayers' issues more quickly. Um, and then they want to obviously upgrade technology. I think, you know, as time goes on, everybody wants to update technology, but apparently the IRS technology is further behind than most. So they're working towards that. And they want to also hire new employees that have higher skill sets and know the tax industry and which of course, you know, it seems to be hard to find um, skilled workers in any industry right now. It seems for certain. Yes. So um, I hope that they are able to do that because that will definitely make our job a little bit easier. Sure. Sure. We're talking today with Vivian Dempsey, uh, with Wilson Lewis. Uh, Wilson Lewis uh, provides services designed to help address once-in-a-lifetime issues, such as estate, succession, retirement planning, fraud, prevention and detection, and even strategic planning. And so um, IRS also has some tax inflation adjustments for the tax year 2023 uh, what are some some of those adjustments that we should be uh, aware of? So basically, they have um, they've now increased the standard deduction. So several years ago, it was increased dramatically. Now they're going up from originally in 2023. Excuse me, 2022. It was. Let me see. Well, I don't have it written down what it is, and I obviously can't remember it off the top of my head. But um, it it rises to twenty seven seven hundred for married filing joint taxpayers, and then we also have um, oh the marginal rate for taxpayers. The highest rate is still thirty seven, so that didn't change. Okay, thirty seven percent. The Alt minimum tax exemption amount has increased to eighty one thousand three hundred. I'm sure, you know, some of this is probably probably Greek to some people, but um, it is interesting to to look over and read what changes they have made. Yeah, I can't begin to appreciate all of the things you know that CPAs have to keep in their heads as far as taxes. Uh, and then, of course, it changes. Uh, it just would seem to me almost virtually impossible because once you feel like you've remembered something, then all of a sudden they change it. <laughs> and that is very true. And it is virtually impossible. Yeah. I mean, there's often times where people ask me a question and, and I'll say, I'm sorry, I have to look that up because yeah. it was probably different last year. So there are several small changes Um which usually happens about once a year. So they they increase these rates yeah. or amounts about once a year. Yeah. Well, and, and so it sounds like some of the uh, new operating plan that the IRS is trying to implement is, is around trying to provide a level of service uh, that the government wants to provide. Uh, governments and big companies are – bureaucratic and sometimes those wheels grind slow but it sounds like they're honestly trying to make their best 
efforts towards uh, improving service as well as uh, providing timely uh, processing of, of tax returns. Yes, they are trying, and hopefully they are successful. Yeah, yeah. Um, Vivian, if someone wants to get in touch with you, uh, they have a tax question, uh, maybe they're dissatisfied with their current CPA, um, what's the best way for them to contact you? Well, they can either call me at 770-476-1004, or they can email me at D at wilsonlewis.com. Great. Well, listen, thank you for sharing uh, some of these uh, uh, important topics, uh, taxes, especially uh, around April and, uh, of course, extension season coming in September and October. Um, CPAs just don't get a break these days. We do not. We do not. (laughs) It it used to be seasonal. It seems like it's year-round now these days. It definitely is. Yeah. And so... um, um, I certainly hope that there will be opportunities uh, through our listening audience uh, to uh, uh, for you to to meet uh, new new clients. And uh, as Andrew had mentioned to me, um, uh, you and Wilson Lewis just do a do a fabulous job with with the tax and and business planning work that y'all do. Thank you. I think that's a yeah. great compliment. Yeah, it is indeed. And so, Scott, Scott Williford with V-Link Solutions. Scott, you and I go back at least 15, 20 years. We've been friends. We uh, uh, were on CEO uh, NetWeaver's uh, operating committee together. Uh, we've got lots of good stories, but I really want to want to hear your story today. So one of the things that, that struck me um, – you know, you have been an entrepreneur for coming up on on three decades. Uh, absolutely fabulous! Uh, you're a very successful uh, entrepreneur, if I might say, even a serial entrepreneur. Um, so, share with our listening audience uh, as you look back on those three decades um, in your entrepreneurial journey. What are the two or three things that really stand out for you? Well, first off, I am a serial entrepreneur. I looked for a 12-step program to get away from it, but I couldn't find one, so I just succumbed to my addiction. Uh, I have been an entrepreneur since 1989 uh, and uh, have been part of forming S-Corps, LLC, C-Corps. I think I'm at 11 entities that I've started in the state of Georgia. Uh, so some are nonprofits and most are for profit, but, uh, so in, in that career and in that span, you know, the, the, the thing that I've learned is entrepreneurs need to be risk takers for sure, because it does require a certain amount of, uh, guts, uh, to just do it, but also they have to be willing and ready to pivot. Um, one story that comes to mind, a company that I started, uh, or I joined, I, I wasn't uh, one of the founders, but I was the second largest shareholder. We had a technology product and we thought we were going to be the next uh, big thing. This was in the mid nineties and uh, we were struggling to, to get to where we needed to be revenue wise. And uh, we met with one of our clients and the clients, uh, or he was a advisor, not really a client. He said, you guys are, are going up the wrong tree. And you have this really cool technology and you need to apply it in this way. And it was totally off the, it wasn't even on the whiteboard. Uh, 
And so we pivoted and the next thing we know, we have four and a half million users and 550 different clients. And we wow. had our product translated into seven different languages. Uh, and we did all of that in three years. Wow. So it was insane growth. Um, the key to that success was to always be selling. You know, you hear that a lot from, from folks, you, you never stop selling. You have to sell all the time and you have to build a brand that people recognize whatever your niche is. And that's what we've done. And whether it's a global market, like the net surfer entity that I was just talking about, uh, we were a global entity. We, everybody knew who we were inside our vertical space, which was internet service providers. And everybody remembers how fast that industry grew, which is why we grew. Um, but then the current entity that I'm running now, uh, V-Link Solutions, which is a video marketing company. We do live streaming as well as video marketing and training videos. Uh, you know, I've gone after a, the niche market here in Atlanta where I already have a community. And it's, it's really about building a brand and a reputation so that the phone rings so you can sell there rather than having to do cold calls. And not every business has that privilege, but that's kind of been my focus is build a huge brand awareness and then everybody you meet can either be an influencer or a buyer. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, uh, I think as far as V link solutions is concerned, I have, have been a, a buyer and, and an influencer. I remember, uh, Early on, uh, we did some, some videos together mm-hmm. and, uh, uh, I understand now looking back how important video marketing is, uh, in, you know, in that idea of always selling, you know, if I can't, if I can't be physically in front of someone, can I be in front of someone, uh, you know, through video marketing and, and things like that, um, but before we jump off that topic, um, I'm certainly, I know in my experience, uh, I had to pivot during COVID. I'm wondering if you could share a story of maybe how you and V-Link Solutions maybe pivoted either during uh, the pandemic or maybe at another time. Well, so uh, V-Link Solutions started uh, going back to kind of how we started it real briefly. Uh, I had sold the company in 2006. I took a couple of years off, uh, played golf a lot. Still not that good. I'm not as good as you, Bill. Uh, <laughs> but if you give me some strokes, we'll be competitive. Uh, but in any case, I, I started consulting, which is what a lot of entrepreneurs do. I formed an LLC, uh, filed as an S-corp. Yeah. <clears throat> so, uh, but I, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, um, I, I had a group of clients that I was helping them with all types of business strategies. And one of my uh, clients asked me to help them with some marketing. And so we met with them and we left going, let's create a video. So I went and created a video. And at the end of that meeting and when we delivered the video, I was like, that was a lot of fun. Yeah. Let's do that again. And so that's how <laughs> V-Link was kind of born. It was out of a consulting gig. Uh, we produce, 1,500, 2,000 videos a year. And back in 2013, an entrepreneur, a friend of mine said, Hey, I've got this uh, event happening. Would you be willing to help us live stream it? And we had never really done any live streaming. And uh, I'm going to tie it back to your question right here though. So we started live streaming in 2013. 
learned how to do that, learned how to do that well. In 2019, we live streamed about 120, 140 hours of content. Wow. We live streamed over 5,000 hours of content in 2020. Wow. And, uh, and so we, in, in a matter of 30 to 45 days, built a virtual event platform called VLink Events. We started hosting events for the Technology Association of Georgia, for Women in Technology, for ATP, for CEO NetWeavers. Uh, and all of that went through our platform. Uh, today, uh, we still do live streams probably 10 or 12 a month. I've got one next Tuesday. Um, we have some clients that we do all of their production, kind of like Business Radio X does your production of your podcast. We do production for them for their virtual training sessions. Um, but it was a huge pivot, and it's now about 30% of our business. Now, in 2020, it was 50%, 60% of our business, but mm-hmm. I think it's going to settle in around 30 35% of our business will be virtual and live streaming events. Yeah, that's a great story. We're talking today with Scott Williford, CEO of V-Link Solutions. V-Link is a video marketing agency that helps businesses create cost-effective, high-quality videos, virtual events, and live streams. As CEO and founder of V-Link, Scott is the visionary leader and spokesperson for the company. And he's a pretty good golfer, too. So, uh, um, and we'll talk about the strokes, by the way. You gave me a good tip at coffee the other day. Okay, well, good. (laughs) So, you've been a successful business owner. You've been a successful business owner for a long time. What What are some of the key traits of a successful business owner. Obviously you mentioned the ability to pivot, always sell. What are some others, Scott? I, I know that I gave you some responses to these questions before today, but just off the top of my head, one of the things that, that I feel like uh, entrepreneurs and business owners need to do is, is set their expectations realistically. Um, a lot of entrepreneurs who are especially in the startup technology space think they're going to conquer the world and they're going to be the next Microsoft, the next Bill Gates, the next Facebook, um, or, you know, the next Amazon. And, and while there are going to be those successes for sure, uh, it's a lot harder. Uh, you know, you use the uh, comparison of there's a ton of high school football players that never play college and that never play pro. So it is a, a numbers game. Um, so set your expectations realistically, uh, and by doing that, go out and do the block and tackle stuff. Stay organized. Uh, have a good CPA. Uh, keep keep yourself ready at all times to pivot. Um, don't drink your own Kool Aid. A lot of guys. I, I met with a guy just earlier this week because uh, I'm doing not profitability coaching, but a little entrepreneur coaching on the sure. side. And I met with a guy earlier this week and. And he doesn't understand his market and he's creating a business model that's not realistic and he's finding it out the hard way because he's going to meet with clients and trying to sell them something that they don't want to buy the way that he wants to sell it. And so, you know, by them going in, by him going in and understanding the buyer's mentality first, then set your business model to meet those expectations and solve the problems that the client's looking and let them pay for it the way that they're looking to pay for it. You'll be a lot more successful uh, if you'd go at it that way. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So um, I want to key in on uh, pivots uh, and and 
but I also want to learn. Um, obviously, there have been some lessons learned from past startups. Um, pivots, uh, to your point, seem to be inevitable. Be prepared for those. But could you expand on that a little bit? So uh, I didn't dive directly too deeply into the uh, NetSurfer experience uh, and how we pivoted. So I invested into this company because they created some very cool electronic software distribution technology. So they were able to, this was in 1995, they were able to install software over the internet. Pretty commonplace today. Uh, but at the time, it was groundbreaking technology. And we uh, we went out to try to seek funding, and uh, the the venture capital market in Atlanta then was was even more hard than it is today. Uh, it, it was very difficult to receive funding. Um, met with one of a side project clients who was a ISP owner, and he had licensed that technology, but he embedded it into a software package that we had done for them on the side which helped their subscribers get online. And uh, his name was Charles Brewer. He was the founder of MindSpring. And he wow. said, guys, y'all have created a tool that's going to help my business grow. There's a lot of other ISPs out there. Why aren't you selling my, the product you sold me to all those other ISPs? And so on a whim, we said, well, let's try. And I made a couple of phone calls. I'd been in the telephony space and the telecom space for about nine years before that, 10 years before that. And uh, through my connections, I got a meeting with an independent telephone company in Rock Hill, South Carolina. And I went in there with a slide deck and no product and showed him what we potentially could do. And I walked out with a $100,000 contract. Wow. Yeah. And then I called the, the CEO of the company. I was the vice president uh, or senior vice president. I don't remember what my title was. I think I was a senior vice president and chief operating officer. But uh, we, I walked out of there. I did have a cell phone back then. Called him immediately and said, by the way, we got 30 days to deliver a product we haven't built yet. <laughs> <laughs> Fortunately, we had done something for Charles. So we had some code that we could start from. Uh, and then they skyrocketed. So pivoting is important, being nimble. Uh, same kind of thing happened, as I mentioned earlier, with, uh, with the, with the uh, pandemic. Everybody had to pivot yeah. in 2020. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So um, let's talk marketing. Uh, I hold the belief that marketing is the number one weakness in growing firms. Um, people don't fully understand their value proposition, uh, they have a hard time differentiating themselves in an undifferentiated marketplace. Talk a little bit about marketing trends from your point of view. So I think you have to understand where your clients are to understand how to market to them. So if I'm selling um, water bottles or plastic, uh, I need to know who the manufacturers are that need that who are, the, who are the companies that need to buy plastic and where are they hanging out? You want to go where your customers are and that's how you have to market because marketing's role is two things in my personal opinion. One is, is it's to build brand awareness so that people know who you are and know what you do, but they have to care. So you have to know who your potential customers are. You got to know that they care who you are and what they do. 
And then the second thing is, is to support sales. Now, some people say that would be lead gen, but it's beyond lead gen. It's also building brand advocates and customers after the fact. Uh, in today's world, if you're a B2B uh, company, which is most of our clientele, LinkedIn and digital marketing is a huge part of that. But it's still very, depending on your ticket, your, uh, your the cost of your products and services, you want to think about, okay, is this has to be a relational sell or is this something that they're just going to pick up the phone and order? In our case at V-Link, we know that our target clients don't pick up the phone and just call randomly and say, hey, I want to do video. So we've discovered, and and many of our clients have, is because of the, the more money you're spending, the more they want to know and trust you. And they'll either contact somebody they already trust or they'll or they already know you from from some other service or some other time you've worked with them. So relationship building is huge and marketing can support that. We think video does that obviously because that's what we do. Uh we are a marketing agency whose only tool is video uh and live streaming. Uh but it, it is all about forming relationships. So I think marketing and the marketing trend today is very focused uh, know your audience. There's a term that's out there called account-based marketing. Um, it's it's all about constantly knowing who your target clients are and going after them. Uh, we recently had a client that produced some content. Uh, they Their typical transaction is going to be in the millions of dollars. They have eight industries that they go after very heavily. Uh, companies called Stratix. They're a mob- mobility solutions provider to companies like Home Depot and Dunkin' Donuts and and uh, hosp- uh, hotel chains. I can't mention those are a couple that I know because they list them on their website that I can mention. But they know these four or five or actually eight industries, and so they have marketing campaigns that go directly after that industry, and they're using technology to do it. So they don't advertise to just everybody. They only advertise to those industries. And uh, now you can do that. Did you know that when you watch Hulu or uh, Paramount, where you have some commercials on streaming services, that they've associated your personal email address with your business email address, and those ads that you're watching are targeted toward Bill? Wow. No, I did not know that. That's why you don't see certain ads and you see other ads. (laughs) Because they know who you are, and uh, that data is out there. And and to me, it's it's a benefit. I don't need to see an ad of something I'm not interested in. Right, right. Um, so I do see a lot of car ads. I'm a, I love cars. I love Lexuses, and so I see a lot of Lexus ads for some reason. And I'm sure it's because I own one. And when I'm watching those online streaming services, that's the ad I see the most. Yeah. So mine must be pizza, uh, Domino's, you know, Pizza Hut, Nazio's. Uh, this is not a commercial, by the way. <laughs> but anyway, we're talking today with uh, Scott Williford with uh, V-Link Solutions. Uh, Scott's also managing partner in, uh, I'm not going to pronounce this I-U-V-O. right. IUVO. IUVO, thank you a boutique management consulting practice that specializes in areas of technology, marketing, business planning, and more. Um, Scott, last question today, and I've thoroughly enjoyed uh, uh, our interview today as, as I did Vivian's um, lifestyle business versus someone who wants to grow and conquer the world. Let's say world domination. Um, how as a business owner, do you, 
reconcile those two, if at all? Well, so NetSurfer was a company that we planned on conquering the world. We wanted to grow it. We wanted to have a big exit. Um, there was a big letdown in the in the internet uh, space in 2000. Uh, those of us that are old enough to remember, that was called the dot bomb. Right. Uh, so when the dot bomb happened, our valuation went from tens of millions to sub five million overnight. Uh, it was a huge letdown. And, and, uh, and so we were trying to conquer the world and that was our goal. And we had investors that had, uh, plenty of, uh, um, they had their boots on kicking us in the pet in the butt to go do it. Uh, and, uh, and then I did the same thing again with another company and we did a successful exit in 2005, 2006 timeframe. But I decided when I, uh, when I started IUVO, uh, that I just wanted a nice lifestyle business and, uh, something that would pay the bills and earn me, uh, a decent living and, and allow me to have some fun doing it. And V-Link is part of that strategy as well. Uh, a lifestyle business, you know, the reality is, is I think it's something like 96% of all businesses have less than a million dollars in revenue. Yeah. And so that's what a lifestyle business is, is a company that pays its people well and pays its owner well. Uh, and there's a lot of us. I'm, I'm sure that you have clients that, you know, are in that $1 million to $5 million range. And, and uh, they the fun thing about that is that there are some freedoms, but don't think it's not hard work. Because guess what? When you go on vacation, your phone's going to ring if you're the business owner. Yep. Uh, I was asked one time, I had a, a corporate job for about 18, 20, well, about 24 months. Um, I worked for two startups right out of college. And then I went to a, a large telecom company for a couple of years, really to learn the telecom space, planning to launch a consulting business with my father. And, tw- and that's the business I started in, in uh 1989. Uh, somebody asked me one time, it's like, what made you make the decision to leave corporate America? And my response was, I, I never intended to stay. Uh, <laughs> it was just a way for me to go to college and learn about telecom. And that's sure. what I did. And, and so to be a business owner and to be a, a lifestyle business owner, is a, there's a lot of reward. There's also a lot of challenges. I will tell you that one of the, the key things that for me um, – that allows me to sleep at night is I quit um, chasing the next deal. I mean, I did sell all the time, but I quit worrying about the next deal. I quit and just said, look, just take this anxiety away from me about worrying about it. And I focused more on getting rid of the anxiety instead of getting the next deal. And it's amazing how the next deal flowed in. Yeah. Uh, I'm a person of faith, as you know. And so I quit praying for provision and started praying for the anxiety about provision to go away. Yeah. Yeah. Makes, makes a lot of sense. I can so resemble that remark. (laughs) Uh, Scott, if someone is thinking about uh, marketing, thinking about video, what's, what's the best way for them to reach you and V-Link? I mean, obviously, our website, V-Link Solutions, that's V-L-I-N-K-S-O-L-U-T-I-O-N-S.com. Uh, and so you can go to vlinksolutions.com, check out our work. Uh, you can email me at S. Williford, that's W-I-L-L-I-F-O-R-D, at V-Link Solutions, or call my cell phone, 404-229-7669. Scott, been a delight to have you on 
ProfitSense, thanks so much for sharing your entrepreneurial journey with our audience. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. I want to take a moment to uh, ask my listeners the question that you might be thinking. Uh, is my business scalable? Many business owners may ask themselves, is my business scalable? Every business owner wants to maximize profitability and cash flow, grow their business, but sometimes they just don't know where to start or what to do. Oftentimes, businesses start with the owner being the sole source of labor. They're familiar with the firm's value proposition and are intimately involved in sales and marketing, operations, and finance. We call this the high-performance, cheap labor model. But there comes a time when the firm outgrows this model and they start adding labor. When they add labor, they go from a cheap labor model to a normal labor model. If sales don't shift to accommodate the fixed cost of additional labor, profitability and cash flow may suffer. I have a client who recently added a VP of operations and a VP of sales at a total cost of $300,000. This change in their operating model has allowed the CEO to delegate management of these two areas to a direct reports, but she also needs to increase her revenue by $1.5 million to cover the fixed cost. She made a conscious decision to grow, but growth always requires cash, and this firm must adjust to the increased overhead of $25,000 a month. Time will tell if the people investment is paid off. Many businesses will experience these types of growing pains as the company grows. One key to remember is that the language of business is accounting, and every owner should watch their financial reports to see how they're performing. Looking at these reports will help you monitor those growing pains. If you want to keep up with the latest in pro-business news, follow us on LinkedIn and Instagram at The Profitability Coach. If you want to listen to past or future ProfitSense episodes, you can find us on ProfitSenseRadio.com. This is ProfitSense with Bill McDermott signing off. Make it a great day.